Let's pray as our kids are leaving, we can pray for them and their leaders. Lord, I just thank you for uh, folks that are willing to invest time and energy and attention and, and the affections of Jesus on our children in our church family. I pray that they'll not only pro, um, do a great job of proclaiming the truth of Jesus um, from your word, but also show them through the, their love of those kids uh, what that's like. And uh, I just pray that you'll guide and direct those conversations, those holy moments, those, um, those God appointments that you make where you touch a heart. And you speak through something that we've said a hundred times, but for, for whatever reason, that day it clicks. And Lord, it is our desire to see lives changed through the power of the gospel. It's not something that we manufacture. It's not something that we coerce. It's not something that we make happen by changing of minds. It's a work of God, plain and simple. And we get to be a part of it because you just love to share your glory and your love with us and an opportunity to bless others. But Lord, we need you to do that work. We need you to do the heavy lifting. And so we ask you to do that in their rooms. We ask you to do that in this place. In Christ's name, amen. So I don't know if you uh, have ever been to the circus. I've been, I was, as a kid, I went to the circus. How many of you have ever been to a circus? There's probably a lot of people. How many... How many um, that have been born since the year 2000 have ever been to a circus? Yeah, it's kind of died. There aren't many circuses, circi? I don't know how you say that, plural. There aren't many around. Um, well, and maybe you would never notice this unless you're watching an old movie, but sometimes when there's a scene and of a circus tent or circus act and there's always an elephant somewhere nearby and that is massive creatures sitting there and there's this rope and there's this little stake in the ground. Do you ever notice that? Just a little stake and you always kind of look at it like something doesn't look right with that picture. That little stake trying to hold a, an elephant. But you see that was actually common and actually the way it was done. And the reason that, that it worked was, th was that it wasn't because the elephant couldn't pull the stake out of the ground. It's because the elephant believed he or she couldn't pull the stake out of the ground. Now, why would an elephant believe they couldn't do that? Well, it's because when the elephant was really young, that was the way they staked the elephant. When it was really young and too young to pull the stake out of the ground. And so it would try and it would learn and fail that it couldn't do it. And so it just believed all the rest of its life it could never pull that stake out of the ground. But it could. It just didn't believe the truth. It believed a lie. And believing a lie has a lot of power. There's a lie in our world. There's a lie in our land. It's not new. It's not something our government came up with. Um, if they did, they stole it from someone else. And this lie goes back to the beginning. And that is that you and I will not have to give an account to God for our actions, for our words, or our thoughts. The truth is that we will have to give an account. We will stand before Almighty God as he sits on his throne, his great white throne it's called, and we will give an account for everything we've ever thought, everything we've ever said, and everything we've ever done because it's all written down, okay? Kind of, it's kind of sobering, <laughs> at least as I think about my uh, life. But you don't have to take my word for it. I'm going to show you where this is in Scripture. You've probably heard people say that before, but you might not have ever seen it in Scriptures. I want you to see how plain and straightforward it is in the Scriptures today. 
we're only going to tackle like five verses today. And the reason is because these verses, it's not that they're more powerful than all the others, but there's some sobriety and some truth here that we're not hearing about very often anymore. And it's important that we not rush by them because people's eternity are going to be affected by whether or not they believe these words or what they do with these words when they hear them. Um, so what I want to do is I want to share that. Now, today, the, the, the title of today's message is just answering the question, what is the great white throne of God? What is it? This will answer the question, okay? Um, it is the, but it, but it is, you're going to find it is the place where God judges humanity. And, there, you know, Jesus tells us parables. He talks about um, the sheep and the goat. He talks about the wheat and the tares. He talks about, the, you know, sorting the fish. All these are all pointing to this moment in future history. That's what it's pointing to. Okay? So I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'll go back through it a verse at a time, and we'll, I'll let you see where I got what I'm sharing with you today. And I'm really just, my goal is just to shine a, a light on something that's already been written, okay? I'm not writing anything new. I'm not prophesying anything that's not been said. I, I'm just celebrating and warning using the words that are already here. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 20 in the Revelation of John. John writes, and then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So people don't like to talk about hell today. And the word is not actually in this passage, but Jesus refers to it a lot more than anybody else in the Bible, more than he refers to heaven. And the lake of fire is one of the names for this place of eternal fire which is what Jesus would refer to as hell. And it is the one place in all of creation where God will not be. And that's ultimately what makes it hell. It's separation from God. And while that may not sound so bad to you, especially if you don't believe in God, um, those who go will find out, unfortunately too late, that there's nothing worse than that. Now, you, you might ask the question as I, I go back through this, it, are these things literally or symbolically representative of a reality? And I, more and more I see these as symbols. Um, I believe that these symbols are used so that we can comprehend something that is beyond our comprehension in many ways. And so I think that these are simple, almost cartoonish ways to describe sobering reality. But if you read them as literal... I don't have a problem with that because I don't think you miss the point if you do that. So I'm going to kind of speak it as if just going to read it straightforward and as if there really are books and as if there's really a throne. If they're not and they're symbolic, it doesn't affect the meaning at all. Okay? So hopefully that won't be an issue for anybody. So the point of today is this. This passage is telling us that every single person who has ever lived and whoever will live 
Every single human being besides Jesus himself will stand before God one day and give an account for their life. Plain and simple. We will all stand before him. And if you think about it, it actually makes sense. If he created and creation rebelled, that he would hold them accountable, right? I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like when my kids acted up when they were younger, I held them accountable to their actions. And, you know, I wasn't always a softy, but um, that's kind of the way it works, right? Those in authority hold those under them accountable for their actions. At least that's, uh, that's a good thing to do. It's good in, in disciplining children. It's good in running a company. It's good in the military. It's, it's what we do. And that's because we take our cues from our creator. So let's walk through this a couple of verses at a time and let's just see. It's pretty straightforward. It's just really emotionally intense. John writes, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Seated on it. So let's just stop there. Great white throne, mega white throne. We're talking about something that's big enough. We're going to see in a minute where all of creation, all the people ever created will stand before him and be able to see him. That means that this throne is so big that tens of billions of people standing side by side, clustered around, will see him. Okay? And for whatever reason, he's going to literally chase the sky and the, and the world away. There will be no backdrop of creation. He will this will be God's transition, I suppose, from this world to the new heaven and new earth. I don't know for sure the timing on those things, but in, as far as it's, how it's written in Revelation, it's written such that you get through the tribulation, however that works, you get through the millennial reign, thousand years, however that works, Jesus comes back, final judgment, final battle, face to face with our creator to stand judgment for what we've done. And then the new heaven and the new earth for those who are judged worthy. Just a little tricky, okay? It also tells us the throne is not empty. It says it's not up for grabs. Somebody's already sitting in it, and that would be God. Now, God the Father, God the Son. Let's read a little bit more, um, and maybe we'll, we'll tease that a little bit. But the point is, God is is in the throne. And if you look back to Revelation 4, the first scene we have of the throne room, there it says God the Father is sitting in the throne. And next to the throne, remember, is the Lamb of God who was slain and yet was resurrected because he's alive, which reminds us that that's a picture of the cross and the resurrection. There, there on or next to the throne and then the, th the seven flames representing the Holy Spirit are somewhere really close by too. So um, again, God is one God but he does manifest himself in multiple ways. I say three because that's how he reveals himself in scripture. I think that's probably because we're not really super sharp. He, he needs to keep it really simple for people like me so he likes to speak in cartoons a little bit. Now that doesn't minimize the importance or the value or the accuracy. It just says God's so big that we just need to realize that he's, he's really, I don't know, maybe he is dumbing it down so that we cannot follow because it's, he's, he's just beyond our comprehension. So he's seated on this throne and then it says the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. Now, I don't know why they wait till now to flee, but probably God just said, okay, now's the time. You, you sin-laced, 
um, creation, depraved creation. And that would have started when Adam and Eve sinned and all of creation was cursed along with them because of their disobedience of the simple commands, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because they disobeyed their daddy, okay, kids, that's a big deal. That's why we're here preaching about salvation is because that started a ripple effect that poisoned and cursed all of creation like a virus wiping through. Call it a spiritual pandemic that we have never gotten over. We are still reaping um, the the fruit of of that one act of disobedience. The heavens and the earth flee, so they're gone, so there's no backdrop for this little scene This little scene, right? Um, Verse 12, and I saw, John says, I saw the dead, okay? He doesn't say the, the lost or the saved. He just says, I see the dead. Those who have passed, those are not alive at this moment. Remember, some people will still be alive on the earth. They will have come through the millennial reign. They will have survived the battle of Gog and Magog, still can't imagine someone naming their kid Gog, but anyway, um, I guess there is Lady, never mind. Okay, Um, and I saw the dead great and small. That's just another way of scripture saying everybody, no matter how important they are and no matter how insignificant the world may think, every single person, the, the, the land at the foot of the cross, they say, is level. I would say the, the floor in the courtroom is level. Standing before the throne. Okay, so they're all standing there before God on the throne. And then it says, and books were opened. Books. This is a little strange to think of books in heaven. Remember, symbolism works here. But the point is, the knowledge of what's in those books is there. Okay? So God has these books or this knowledge, what's in the books. Then it says, before it tells us, it says another book was opened. Okay, so this book must be really important because before we get to know about those books, we're going to find out about this book. And it says, which is the book of life? And we've heard about that already, right? In Revelation, he's already referred to the book of life. And and he's going to repeat again what we already know, and that is that if your name's written in the book of life, that means that you know the Lord, you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and that salvation is yours. You don't have to fear judgment, even though you deserve judgment. Okay, and I'll explain as we keep going. So this book, the book of life, the dead were judged according to what, has, what they had done as recorded in the books. The dead were judged in accordance with what they had done, written or found in the books, which represent the knowledge of God. So God knows. So this is kind of how I picture it. Again, it's just a, it's imagery. I picture billions and billions of people standing by, either they're standing by other people or maybe, and I'm kind of picturing it this way because it helps me at least communicate this idea. I'm imagining I'm standing there along with anyone else. I'm assuming I've already died. This is in the future beyond my life here on earth, okay? It could happen tomorrow, but I'm assuming, and so I'm standing there before the throne of God with billions of other people and there's a stack of books next to me that are mine, And these books represent my thoughts, my words, my actions, so that when it's my turn to stand before him, he's going to point to that stack and go, and I know what's in those books, and there's nothing missing. 
I remember when you walked into Eckerd Drugs with your dad in sixth grade and walked down the candy aisle and grabbed a pack of bubble yum and put it in your pocket. I remember that day you got caught doing that. Cure you of, of stealing, didn't it? Yes, sir. Right? I know all the details of everything you've ever thought at your best and at your worst. I can remember your dreams, the dreams that you choose and the dreams that chose you, good and bad, and all the rest. All the things that no one else on planet Earth knows, it's written down, it's real. And, and I imagine myself, maybe while I'm waiting, my turn kind of sneaking a book off the top and just kind of peeking. I know what's in there, but I'm, I want to kind of see. Oh, close the book, put it back. I wish I didn't have, I forgot about that. I can't believe that's in there. And that was just volume A, one. <laughs> so there's this nauseating detail of our lives that God has fully aware of and he has not forgotten unless, and there's a reason and a time when he does choose to forgive those things. But at this moment, it seems he's going to remind us. So, um, Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So here's another, so anyone who has died is in the room, so to speak. Okay, people who don't believe that God is real now find out they were wrong. People who do believe God is real find out he is really holy, holy, holy. I now understand why that's said three times because that means there's no better way to say it. There's no more full a way to say he is purely holy than to say it in three, just over, over, and over. To say, And now I understand why there's angels that do nothing in all of eternity but say those words, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Repeat for all eternity. That's why they were created. That's because God is holy and that's a big, big deal because I'm not. And how can God who is holy let someone who is not holy into his presence? That's why the earth was chased away. That's why the sky is chased away because they're tainted by sin. So who am I to think that I can be in his presence long term if I'm not holy? There's no hope for me apart from some miraculous intervention which God makes when he puts your name in the book of life. But how does he get, how does a holy God pull off being able to write your name and my name if it, in a book to say that we're good if we're not good? How can that happen? And this is how I understand it. And again, very simple child language. He wrote all our deeds out as we did them. All the things that damn us. Okay? And let's just use the word as it's intended to be used instead of all the other ways we use it, right? It's okay to say Bible words in church, last I checked. That's the condition of the person apart from Christ. That's what it means. Eternal damnation means hellbound. It means lake of fire bound. It means you don't know the Lord because you don't want to know the Lord. Okay? Because he's reaching out to you. He's drawing you to himself. Are you stiff-arming him or are you letting him in? Okay? So, what, what, so he, here's this book. It's got all these things I've done in it. How can I ever be in his presence because of these books? They, this is the mountain of evidence that condemns me to the lake of fire. This is why I deserve to go. And I'm talking me. I'm talking this is real. 
And this is, this is why I love the book of life, because the book of life, I think, has some things in it. And maybe the Bible scripture is in there too. I don't know, but the Bible says it. So I'm claiming it when I'm there. I'm going, don't forget your word, Lord. <laughs> in case you don't have it in front of you, please don't forget. You know, please don't forget Ephesians 2. Please don't forget I'm forgiven. It's by grace through faith that I'm forgiven. Please don't forget the cross. Please don't forget the resurrection. And on and on and on through those all these New Testament verses that remind us that the way those words on those pages are erased is when God hears me say, when he says, why should I let you in? I go, you shouldn't let me in for anything that I've done because I don't deserve to be in. But I'm trusting that what Jesus did for me on the cross is going to be what you look at instead. I want you to look at his deeds on my behalf. Don't look at my deeds on my behalf because these damn me, those save me because I believe they're for me. Okay? And so he says, so he, okay, well, let's just go through. Some of these are pretty bad. And he starts going through some of the things that I've thought and said and done. And every time we go through one, all of a sudden I just see this red line just kind of strike through that line. And then it starts to fade. And then the next one we talk about, and the red line drives right through it. And it's a blood red line because it's the blood of Jesus that erases our sins. Okay, now that's, I'm, you know, I'm just making up a picture, right? But you get the point. The only thing that removes the stain of sin is the blood of Jesus, okay? The only thing that replaces the, the spiritual blood that we have that's cursed with the pandemic of sin is the blood of Jesus that is impervious to that curse, okay? And how did he beat the curse? He died, he submitted to it, he surrendered to death, and then he beat it because he didn't stay dead, right? That's why Easter's such a big deal. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself. He doesn't, ha he has it. We have the victory when we follow him in that, okay? So this is logical. This isn't spiritual hocus pocus. This isn't emotionalism. I'm trying not to be emotional because I do not want you to trust God Christ emotionally without a theological understanding of what is being taught here. Okay? Because that puts you in a worse place. That's like being inoculated, which I think means you think you don't have, you, 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 think, you think you're protected from the virus when in fact you're vulnerable. Okay? No political statements there. Just saying. Didn't mean to say it that way, actually. <laughs> Sorry. All right. My shoulder's sore, okay, for the record. All right, so, so then, then it goes like this. The dead were judged. Okay, so I'm gonna say it again because this is the point. The dead were judged um, according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So I'm judged based on the evidence with the book of life on top because the, the deeds of Jesus are in that book and that book covers my deeds, Okay, if you want to use Instagram as an imagery, the photo is my life with all my deeds and the filter is, the, is blood red. And God sees my work through the filter of the blood of Jesus and that makes it all go away. Okay, it changes the image into something I don't mind posting publicly because it says I'm forgiven and I'm okay with that, okay? And I want you to be forgiven, okay? I want all of you to be forgiven. I want you to understand 
that this is for you. And if there's any stirring in your heart whatsoever, it's because he's saying, come. Today is the day of salvation. Come, come to me. I've made it so that you can get to me and you don't have to earn it because you can't afford it. There's no way to afford it. So then he continues and he says some interesting things that I don't really understand, okay? I don't really understand why these are in here. But he says, the sea gave up the dead that were in, in it and death and Hades were, gave up the dead that were in them because they're not needed anymore. And each person was judged according to what they had done. So he repeats it mostly for the guys because we need that. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, well, we already know that the Antichrist is there and the false prophet is there. Now, Satan's not there yet because he was bound before the millennial reign, but he's gonna end up there like really, really soon because it tells us that um, in the verses right before these verses. When the 10,000, verse uh, seven, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from the prison. He will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth, surrounding the camp of God's people, the city. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that sounds like a place I definitely want to avoid, <laughs> okay? The lake of fire, I'm back to verse 14. Then the death of Hades, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. What's the first death? First death is when we go to a funeral. That's somebody experiencing the first death, okay? Everybody experiences the first death except for Enoch, Genesis 5, 24, he walked with God, so he just kept walking home. Elijah, the chariot came and took Elijah home. He didn't have to die. And anyone who's alive the day Jesus comes back, whether you're raptured, okay, it could be the day of the rapture, and if we go home that day, well, that's what it means, so we're gonna caught up, so those folks aren't gonna physically die. And I guess if you're still alive during the millennial reign, you just walk into the new heaven and the new earth, but those are all exceptions. The majority of us will die the first death the wages of sin is death. It doesn't just mean the first death. It means the second death too. And the second death is the lake of fire. Okay? And I keep bringing this up because we don't like to talk about it. But it's all over the place in scripture and I'm doing, I'm committing spiritual malpractice if I don't show you this. Okay? And warn you of this. This is sobering. It's why we do what we do when we talk about being the church. It's we live a life that shows people there's an alternative. And then we earn the privilege to share with you why we were changed and have become that kind of a person. We didn't do that. God did that in us. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake. Anyone who's in the lake of fire is the second death. And this sounds horrible, but I'm going to say it anyway. It is not just, when we think of death, we think of an instantaneous, we might be drawn out a little bit, but it's something that's definite. It's got a beginning, it's got an end. There's no end. This is, I am dying for the rest of eternity. And if you're like me, you probably, the thought probably runs through your mind, well, that seems a little excessive. <laughs> but if you think about the 
penalty. What's the penalty? The penalty is is rebellion against a holy God, an infinitely holy God, an eternally infinitely holy God. So the only appropriate punishment would have to be eternal in nature to even come close to being appropriately enough to match the offense. So when someone says, I don't believe in God, you're speaking against your creator, whether you believe in the creator or not, and you're speaking as the created being as if you knew more than the one who created you. Should be kind of like me walking into a, a, a doctor's office who specialized in cancer treatment and telling them what I know, which would not take long at all when it comes to cancer, and, and talking to them like they should do what I think they should do instead of what they should do. So them deciding. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, fair question. Maybe you're thinking this, I don't know. I was thinking of it. So if my name's not written in the book of life, too bad, so sad? What, what does that mean? Does that mean um, there's no hope for me? It sounds like that. Or can my name be written in the book? I don't know the answer to that. Okay, but I have some speculation. So here's what I think. First of all, it says it's written. Okay, that's past tense. It's written in there, okay? Now, I don't mind joining Spurgeon when he prayed, save the elect and elect some more, God. I mean, I love that prayer, even though it may not be theologically correct, but I'm all for that. I got enough um, uh, in me that, that says, Let, let's pray for some miracles of, you know, God, God has changed his mind in scripture in one sense, and so I trust him. But um, if... If you're worried that your name is not written in the book of life, I wonder if that doesn't mean your name's written in the book of life. Because if it's not written in the book of life, that means you have no care at all for the Lord. You just, I just don't believe and I don't think I'll ever believe. But if you care about the answers to that question, I gotta think there's something in there that, that God's got, and it's just a matter of timing, time. I don't know. But if, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting out there or I'm watching online and I'm thinking, well, I hope my name's on that, you know? And then I would ask you, why do you want your name on that? Why would you want your name to be in the book of life? Well, I don't want to go through the lake of fire, okay? Is that the only reason? Is that a good enough reason? Yes, that's a good enough reason, okay? But is it, is it really the reason? I mean, what about the rest of your life? Do you care about the rest of your life and how that's going to go? Because the same God who wants to save you from the lake of fire is the God who wants to make your life rock in a way that you cannot imagine. He's not just about the hereafter. He's about the here and now. He wants your life to matter. And, and my testimony includes this idea. I cared about my life. I was young, and so I was thinking I have all my life ahead of me. I just want to make a difference in this life. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't afraid to die. I wasn't thinking about death. So that wasn't a real temptation concern of mine at the time. But when I thought, you know, I want to have a real purpose in my life, you know, I don't want to just live for something and, and then look back in 40 years and go, really? So we were studying this in, in our, in our, um, in school this week. I was, I was teaching some seventh and eighth graders about, um, uh, 
Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. And he tells a story where he was researching. So he was, a, he was an atheist working for the Chicago Tribune. He was a reporter, really good reporter. And his wife came to know Christ. And he's like, oh, great. I've got it. I'm married to a Christian now. He was just distraught. And, and so he started researching. And he said, I'm going to disprove this because he's a really good journalist. So he's like, starts researching. He's talking to all these experts trying to disprove Christianity. And in the course of that, he, he's writing articles and he needs to do some research. And so he goes down into the, I guess the, 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 the newspaper has a library and, and they say, I need to look at one of my old articles. And so she takes him to a drawer and she says, yeah, we have, a, we have drawers of files. And in these files are the are all the articles that every reporter has ever written by name. So Lee Strobel, let's pull it out. Here's an envelope, and it's got a clipping from the newspaper of all the articles that you've ever written. And he takes that, and he's very proud of himself. He, he's a good reporter. And he holds that envelope, and he goes, that's it? That's all I've got to show for all? I'm killing myself for this? I mean, it really sobered him to realize that's what I'm living for? And it was, just, it was one of those moments where God softened his heart and really opened him up to the reality, there's so much more than this. So much more than this. In this life, which is just a blip on the line of the rest of your life. But this blip matters. What we decide here affects that. It's the way he's designed it to work. And so it really was, I thought it was a pretty cool moment for him. And if you haven't seen the movie, The Case for Christ, it, it's only a couple of years old. It's fantastic, and it tells his whole story, and, it, and I don't want to spoil it because it's a, it's a pretty powerful um, movie, but it, it really helps you wrestle with, if, you're, if you have lots of questions about, um, can I trust the Bible? Um, was Jesus a lunatic? Was he lying about being the Messiah? Did, you know, did he hypnotize people? All those kinds of apologetic kinds of questions. He, he, he tackles a lot of those in the, in the context of his story because he had all those questions, and they were good questions. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire, okay? Not my first choice of ways to motivate somebody to trust the Lord, okay? But we're all different, aren't we? Some people need the two by four upside the head. Some people need to be scared to death. I've heard preachers say, and I don't, I don't like this, but God uses all Oh, if he uses preachers, he can use anybody, right? Donkeys, preachers, and anybody else. Um, they say, I want to scare the hell out of you. Okay, well, I hear you, and I, I hear kind of what you're trying to say, but I think what God wants more than fear-filled converts is tear-filled converts. Now, here's what I mean by that. And this took me years to figure out and understand until I emotionally got it one year at ironically youth camp yeah youth pastor was down there balling it wasn't the youth one of the youth and and it was this idea I understood what my sin did to God I understood a little bit more okay a lot more but I was still pretty clueless but it's like my sin hurts God he grieves it says in the Bible he mourns and grieves over our sin now why would he do that two reasons at least one is it hurts me when I sin again. When I sin, it hurts me. It does damage to my soul. Not to mention it hurts other people. It hurts me. And the second reason is, it's why he had to send his son to the cross. To make it so that I could be reconciled to God, cost God his son. 
And in case you're tempted to do what I've done in the past and say, well, Jesus is alive, so what's the big deal? You just skipped over that suffering part. And if you've seen anybody in the hospital lately who's suffering through anything, which is not as much suffering as he went through before and on the cross, then you've got to realize, okay, that's, I'll take it back. That's not a fair statement, okay? And he didn't just suffer on earth and die. He suffered because the sins of the world were put on him instead of on us. It is why his blood cleanses me from my sin. So cosmic suffering, okay? God is accused of all kinds of, God the Father is accused of all kinds of terrible things because what he sent his son to do. He's accused by theologians even. But you see, when you understand what sacrificial love is for, then you understand what God's love is for. It's, it's like those firemen, while everybody running out of the two towers because they're about to fall, these guys are running up the stairs to rescue people. Why would you do that? You're not gonna make it out of there because I might make it out of there and help or help someone else out. That's sacrificial love. Animals don't do that. Why? Because they're not made in the image of God. Okay? We're unique. God treasures people. Jesus died for people. That's why it, Jesus became human. Because it takes a human to be a penal substitutionary atoning sacrifice for humanity. If God wanted to save the whales, he'd have sent a whale. My son, the whale. You know, I, he, would, you know he, didn't, he didn't do that. Even though salvation will ultimately lead to the recreation of the new heavens and the new earth. So he's going to redeem creation. But ultimately, we're his treasure. Okay? So if you're sensing God stirring you over this, do not blow that off. It means that there's a spiritual heartbeat there that says... God's saying, I want you to come. I'm inviting you to come and follow me. Now, before you, you say, okay, 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 before you say that, let me just give you some reasons not to do that. I know that's a little weird, but I'm a little weird. Jesus doesn't just say, come and, and follow me. He doesn't just say, come and see. He says, come and die. Okay, so if you're gonna follow Christ, you're following him down the same path he took to make it possible for you to follow him. And that path is the path that leads to a Roman cross. And while you and I may never die on a Roman cross, we might die for our sins. But the, the point is we're called to decide to die now. So if you're already a follower of Christ, you need to ask yourself, have I already decided that if should the moment occur that I have the opportunity to die for the grace of God and for the glory of God in this life because I believe this isn't the end and the best is yet to come I'm ready and willing okay and I'm praying for the grace to do that okay so Christians brothers and sisters wrestle with that question and be honest about your answer okay but if you don't know the Lord you need to know, to say yes to Jesus is to say yes to all of it. And it is gloriously terrifying at times, okay? Because he's calling me to live for him, and if necessary, that includes die for him. But man, the freedom I have to be not afraid to die is amazing. I do not fear death 
not looking forward to the process, okay? But I do not fear being dead because I know to be absent from this body is to be with him and it leads to my future glorified body and a glorified heaven and earth, the new heaven and new earth, which we're gonna read in the next two chapters, okay? So if you wanna read ahead, it won't be a spoiler uh, for you. You can go ahead and read that, okay? So let me, let, me, let me wrap this up. So, so what's the great white throne? It's the place where God says, you're in or you're not. You're one of my children or you've decided you don't wanna be part of my family and you will be in the new heaven and the new earth or you will be in the lake of fire. There's no in-between, which is what Hades was. And you remember, he threw Hades into the lake of fire. So you don't want Hades either because it's gonna be in the lake of fire when it's time. Okay? And I don't think we get to decide this at the last minute. I think when we stand before God, it's, it's already done. It's just a matter of playing it out. And all this is going to happen in an instant, right? This is not going to be some long two-hour movie. All of these things happen in a flash. That's the way he, it's decided. It's done. It's written as if it's already done. It's just not played out yet because God sees it all as now. Okay? So you and I have a decision to make. What are we doing with Jesus? And that's really the question that he would, I don't know what he's going to ask us. He's probably not going to ask us anything, and I'm not going to be able to speak in his presence anyway. But he might, if he asked a question, he might say, what did you do with Jesus with your, in your life? What did you do with him? So there's going to be a day when we're going to stand before him as he sits in the throne and we stand with, a, with tens of billions of people, all who've died and some who've died knowing him, most who have died not knowing him, and then he sorts it out. And my hope and prayer is that your name is written in the book of life. And I believe if you care, I believe it's there. But that doesn't mean that you've stepped forward and said yes. I'm not saying you just automatically, okay? Salvation is available to all but it's not automatic okay you have a role to play and that is what faith is faith is you exercising your choice okay i might believe that chair can hold me up but until i sit in that chair until i choose to put my full weight on that chair i do not realize the rest that that chair would bring i have to go sit in that chair and then i realize the rest. Well, now take that to a cosmic, infinite spiritual level. I do not, I may believe that God can save me, but until I sit and put my full weight in believing he will save me, I, I, I don't have that. Okay? I may have a plane ticket to Hawaii. I'm welcome all donations are welcome absolutely be happy to fly there but even if it's in my hand i don't step off the plane into hawaii until i get into the plane i have to trust the plane will get me there right so some of you are holding the ticket it's got your name on it your name's written in the book of life maybe but you're afraid to exercise the faith god has already given you you wouldn't be able to do it if he didn't but you still have to exercise that faith And I don't want to twist your arm and I don't want to talk you into it. But I want to say what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, today is the day of salvation. 
He wrote that down. Today is the day of salvation. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray in a minute. And then I'm not going to go over there like I normally do. I'm going to stay up here near the front, okay? And there's a people get up. We're going to do the Lord's Supper like we normally do. Come down these aisles. We're going to remember that because that's what makes that salvation possible. But you may want to, you may want to, um, you may have a question or you may want to talk. And I just want to give us the time to deal with that. And uh, if you want to, I'll talk and pray with you. Um, if you want to do that later, I'll do that later. I don't want to make a big fuss about it, but I do want this to be a sobering moment. And I want you to respond in faith. I want you to do this because you believe this is what God wants you to do. And he's the one you want to please, not me. Please don't do it for me. Let's pray. Lord, there are people listening today that have been your followers for a long time. And my prayer is that they will answer the question, would I be willing to die for you, Lord? Because I'm so confident my name is written in the book of life that to die is Christ, to live is gain. And I actually believe that that is true. And therefore, I would be willing, knowing that your grace will be sufficient when I'm weak, to die for you should that need arise. In the meantime, I pray for the, probably the harder thing to do. I pray that you'll help me live for you. I pray that folks will come to grips with the reality that we have, while we don't have a lot of control, we do have some control. And we need to, we're accountable for the part we have a control over, the decisions we make every day. And Lord, for those that are in the room and they're wrestling with this whole idea, is God real? Is he, did Jesus really die on the cross for my sins? Does that really make all the difference? Can I trust you, God? I pray that you would give them just a peace that yes, you're trustworthy a peace that would move them to choose willingly, freely to receive Christ as Lord and Savior today. Not just to miss the lake of fire, but because of the tears that they sense that their life has brought to you, to your face, because of the way they've lived, the things they've thought, the things they've said, the self-centered, self-absorbed lifestyle that they live. We all live that they would surrender that lifestyle and say, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be who God created me to be. And they would receive by grace through faith the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would help them fumble through that prayer right now. Right now they can just say, Lord, I want you. Lord, I want, I don't understand how to even say it. I just know I need Jesus because my sins need to be covered. There's a giant stack of books next to me with my, with the evidence of my life and I'm not proud of it at all. And I want you to put the book of life on top of that stack and cover my sins with the blood of Christ. Could you do that for me, Lord Jesus? Would you do that for me, a sinner? And the Lord says, yes, my child, I would be blessed to do it. Give us the faith to believe in Jesus' name. Amen.